Hello, everyone. Let me know if you have my audio so we could get started. Hi, Rasam. Susanna John, Music Guy John, Armin John. Hey, guys. Hi, Rasam. I see Music Guy. Um, I see Susanna. I, we have a whole bunch of Patreon questions, which I'm going to respond to first before we get to the live chat question. I do want to let you guys know that I have a Patreon-only uh, stream coming up soon. Let me, before I get to the Q&A, let me just show you. I already made a cover for it. Let me see if it shows up. Right. So, yeah, it's going to call, be called Muslim YouTuber Civil War. So I'm going to go over the recent drama that just happened between... Um, some disagreements over the Ali Daba and Apostate Prophet debate and some fights and drama that happened between a whole bunch of da the Daba community. So I'm going to review that with you guys. But this one is going to be a patron-only stream. I'm going to post for, for patrons. They're going to see the link being posted shortly after the stream. I'm going to post it on Patreon. Uh, for people who are not patrons, um, I'm going to link to it on the community tab of uh, this YouTube channel. However, it will be, you would have to be a patron to be able to access it, right? Anyways. Oh, I put my name in English. <laughs> I was, okay, let me fix that. Because, thank you, Susanna. Because I was just, last night I was doing a Persian stream. So I always switch my name to Persian for that. Fix this. Oh, cool. Thank you, Susanna. <laughs> All right. So cool. Let me go to our Patreon questions. And guys, while we're doing, I don't know, Susanna. No, I think that's too much to ask. I was going to ask Susanna to keep starring the live chat questions as they come in, but she would have to come on the stream to, for that to happen. So never mind. Let me stop sharing the screen and let's go to the first Patreon question. All right, first Patreon question is by Bulbul. Hold on just a second. Let me do this. Okay. Bulbul is saying, why is the ex-Muslim subreddit so hateful? I, a Hindu, have to fight with so many there to convince them that not all Muslims are terrible people and that Hindutva and white nationalism is bad. How can we help the situation? Was well, I was hoping for some examples of what they said by Bobo because I'm not familiar with the arguments that people have and what kind of discussions people have on the ex-Muslim subreddit. So I did respond to this comment on Patreon to Bobo saying, "Can you give me some examples?" I don't think she saw it, so I was I would be able to comment on it if I had like more specifics because I don't know what what they said um and i don't yeah so i mean is it really that like that they i, I was expecting a lot more from the ex-muslim subreddit like are they denying that white nationalism is a thing are they denying that hindutva is like i don't know being oppressive to muslims do they deny that I was hoping, like, my my experience with most ex-Muslims so far has been, like, yeah, we be anti-Islam, but not anti-Muslim. 
I mean, there has been some exceptions, which is we call it out when we see it. But most of the time, like I've seen ex-Muslim call out like the CCP's treatment of Muslims. You're saying in the ex-Muslim subreddit, it's not like that. I would have expected a subreddit to be. I mean, what is this? How how can we help the situation? I guess like just being ex being ex-Muslims that defends Muslims against oppression is the only way I know what how to do it. Like constantly showing that hey, like we're gonna be very 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 aggressively anti-Islam. And at the same time, being very, very, very aggressively pro-Muslims, pro-Muslims civil rights, pro-protecting Muslims against harm and discrimination, and showing people how these two positions are not a contradiction at all. We don't apologize for being anti-Islam, and we don't hold back at all in defending Muslims. I, I just, the only solution I have is to lead by example. Has anybody else heard about this? The explosive subreddit being like that because I didn't know. Let me see if you. Oh my god! I don't even know if I could highlight this comment. Um. So somebody in the live chat is saying, "I hope my Muslim relatives will suffer for ruining my life, for my uh, ruining my mind and life." But probably not because there's no justice or karma. Okay, well that's ugh, that's. I okay. So here's the thing. I understand that a lot of ex-Muslims have had very traumatic experiences with Islam, and I understand how that experience would lead them to have hatred towards groups of people. But just because I understand it, it doesn't mean it's justified. You know what I mean? Understanding how something, how leads to A to B, doesn't mean that you are justifying A leading to B or you're excusing it, okay? Just because something is expected to happen to some extent for some people, that doesn't mean it's okay, okay? Let me see what else. Um, okay, let me see. Let me see. Somebody saying something not relevant. Okay, here. Music is saying, you, yes, that's usually the place where people are less censored online, so they let it out or attack or attract a certain type of person. Okay, that's fine though, like on, on a subreddit, but do they get any pushback? Like, are there also other ex Muslims that were like chill? Um, you know, again, I am sympathetic to atheists or ex Muslims who have gone through that. And sometimes I think like they have to go through that. Yeah, exactly what D is calling the angry atheist phase. I mean, it's okay to be angry, but directing that anger towards an entire group of people, I don't think we need, like you need to grow out of that phase. We need to show people how to grow out of that phase, even though we don't really, um, especially if you're younger, right? Like we have a lot of teenage atheists and then that just feel like their lives have been ruined. And then 
it's harder to hold them responsible for having a collectivist mindset rather than individually judging people. Um, because I mean, they just started, right? So I think we should give them a chance to grow out of that. <clears throat> okay, I'm gonna star some great questions by Susanna. Yes. All right. Let me go to next question, next patron question. All right, next patron question. This is by Rob. Rob is asking, when discussing the problems with Islamic scripture, how do you respond to people who say that, it, that it's just a matter of how you interpret it? Then it's useless, right? If there's a... Okay, so the best... Okay, the worst you could say about Quran or Hadith, Islamic scripture in general, is that it means exactly <laughs> what it says it means, right? Like it's basically what it sounds like it's saying, it's actually saying those things, okay? And if that's the case, then it's horrific, okay? That's, that's the worst. The worst you could say about it is that you have to take it seriously. You have to take it by its own words, right? It's just plainly saying in black and white to beat your wife, to take slaves in war, to kill apostates. And it just means what it sounds like, okay? And if that's the case, then holy crap, these books are violent and inhuman, right? Um, the best you could say about it is that it doesn't actually mean the things that it seems like it means, <laughs> right? That anybody could just take this text and just go with whatever they feel like. And like, hey, if it says beat your wife, it means like, I don't know, tickle her with a feather, okay? When you, you know, or just be even nicer to her. Oh, no, actually means walk towards her. Apparently, some people are translating Azrabahunna as walk towards her, as if that makes any sense. It doesn't make any grammatical sense. It doesn't make any logical sense. It doesn't make any sense given the, like, within the context of the verse, within the context of other hadiths, in, from any perspective that you look at it, it doesn't make any sense, but hey, let's just, why not? Okay, it means like, it's not, uh, let's just go with like, somebody could read this as beat your wife, but you could also like say like, oh no, it means walk towards her, okay? Even though it makes absolutely no sense if you read it like that. But if you just wanna go like willy-nilly and like just, um, just like, hey, let's everybody could just decide what this means on their own and the underlying text make it as irrelevant as you could possibly make it. Then the best thing you could say about it is that it's the most useless text in the, in the world. If I write, write on this piece of paper an instruction and I could have an interpretation and you could have an interpretation and everybody, per, every other person could have a, their own interpretation, then what's the point of the goddamn text? Is like it's it's useless. Okay, so you're saying your defense of Islamic scripture is that it's not violent, that it's not anti-woman, that it's not anti-LGBT, that it's not anti-science, that it's not anti-skepticism, that is not anti-freedom. Your defense is that it's useless, it's nothing. It's just 
whatever you want it to mean. It's a matter of interpretation. Okay, and also, if it's a matter of interpretation, then that's, that doesn't, doesn't that make it still extremely dangerous? So you're saying, if you're saying it's a matter of interpretation, they, then you're saying like ISIS's interpretation is as valid as someone else's interpretation that says like, oh yeah, Islam is pro-woman, pro-LGBT, pro-peace, okay? So if it's just a matter of interpretation, then the ISIS interpretation is also correct, as valid. So all of a sudden you have a text that is supposed to be a divine revelation of God and it's a matter of interpretation, well, then this is a very useful tool for destruction because all of a sudden all sorts of interpretation will have the authority and the legitimacy of a revelation from God, from the creator of the universe himself. How is that not a dangerous weapon? Like, oh, yeah, you could make of it as whatever you want. You could interpret it in, in any way you want. And then also put the backing of the, the creator of the universe being on your side because you interpreted it that way. So even in the most charitable way of looking at Islamic scripture is still extremely dangerous. It's either very useless or extremely dangerous. Like, still. <laughs> Susanna saying, Armin's takedown of scripture still brings a smile to my face. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. Let me see if there's any other new chat. This is really difficult without Susanna here. Yeah, D is saying, yes, the divine justification for anything. Exactly. Yeah, so Ghassan is saying you could interpret um, Zarabo, which is hit. You could def you could interpret that as maybe French kissing them. Sure, why not? Right? You could if it's just a matter of interpretation. Why not? How about if I interpret the Quranic verse that says "beat your wife if they're disobedient, if everything else fails"? I want to interpret that as have anal sex with them. Is that okay? I mean, that's that's a lot of that's an improvement, but I wonder what the Muslim, what the Ummah is going to think about that. Like, if everybody, everybody come could come up with their own interpretation, I'm just going to do that. I think that would be an improvement. Consensually, by the way, consent. My my version. I mean, consensually. Okay. <laughs> oh my god okay oh d is saying for for f sakes you are not an arabic scholar well this question is saying it's just a matter of interpretation so it's anyone's interpretation did the Quran, was the Quran a revelation to mankind or was the Quran a revelation to scholars? Did God send a revelation? Wasn't the point of sending a revelation to somebody that couldn't even read or write to show that this is a book for everybody, even the unlearned? 
Like if this is a book that only the scholars can interpret, what kind of a revelation is that? This is like is God like promoting elitism? If you want to send a book for mankind, make it something that is accessible to everybody. It says it in the book that it's a clear book for everybody. So if the if if a lot of some Muslims claim like, hey, you're not a scholar, like what a useless the creator of the universe could not send out a communication um, tool like use a communication mechanism that is accessible to all. We need like scholars to be able to come tell us what this means. Anyways, let's go to the next point. Next question by next pet patron question by Secular Sekai. I'm going to decide to read that like that. Sekai sounds cool. Okay, so the next question If Islamic theocracies eventually fade away, do you believe that religious governments will become a thing of the past for humanity? Or that another major religion will try to replace Islam politically. Well, secular Sekai, I don't think that it's just that religious governments that will become a thing of the past. I think religion as a whole at some point will become a thing of the past. So it's not just like, yeah, and without religions, we're not going to have religious governments. So... I know a lot of people say like, oh, that's ridiculous. We always had religion. We had religion for thousands of years. So how could we not have, given that we had religion for thousands of years, that means we're going to also have religions for indefinite forever. What kind of a dumb argument is that? Like, I keep hearing that. Like, uh, how could you expect religion to go away? We always had religion for, for like, for, ever since we had civilization, we had religion. So it's therefore, it's not going to go away. Okay, because we had it always, therefore we will always have it. It's like, how could we, how could we land on the moon? Ever since the beginning of civilization, man never went to the moon. Therefore, we will never be on the moon. What? <laughs> like, are you serious? Like, yeah, it it was there for a long time, and it will it just there were. Things that continued for longer and it eventually end. Just because it was with us for a long time, that doesn't mean it will always be here with us. Okay. Um, I don't understand. I don't know if people can appreciate how humans are not just increasing their access to information at an accelerated rate in the past hundred years, but eventually they will also increase and improve the processes at which, at which they will pro uh, they will analyze information. Okay. I don't know if you guys understand how fast things are changing the past hundred years in the way we have changed the way we live, the things we know, has been more dramatic than the 5,000 years that have came before it. And that speed is also 
you know, that change is also accelerating going to the future. Like we're going to see, so we saw in the past hundred years changes that we didn't see in a thousand years before it or longer. And to see the same level of change that we saw in the past hundred years, we don't need to wait another hundred years. We need to wait another 10 years. And then after that, I don't know how this is going to, how, how this is going to, how we're going to keep up with this because we might get to a point where you're going to see the same level of change that we saw in the past hundred years every year. The whole definition of what it means to be a human is going to be challenged very, very soon. Very, very soon, more so, earlier than a lot of people realize. Religion will have no chance to survive in such a in, in, with that level of progress. In fact, humanity will have no chance to survive because humanity is going to evolve into something unrecognizable at some point. So maybe actually it's true that people say that humanity will never be without religion, but we will be without religion. The world will be without religion because for us to mature out of religion, we also have to mature out of humanity. <laughs> we need to be something greater than human, which will we, we will be. We need to be human plus. Paris saying Armin loved the hairstyle. Oh, thank you. It seems like the less effort I make, the better it ends up being. I'm trying to see if there's like <laughs> so then it's like sounds insidious. Transhumanism. Yes. Well, I mean, it's like I'm pretty sure a lot of the progress that we have made so far sounds would sound like very bizarre or not very welcomed to people a hundred years ago. Yeah, D is saying the past 50 years even. Practically nothing is the same <laughs> as when I was a kid. Yeah. It's going to also be hard to adjust, by the way. Our minds have not, like at some point, uh, you're not going to recognize the world. You know how like this generation, like the previous generation is having a hard time for, like we have had this before, right? Because of modernity, you know, we, we didn't have these problems for like thousands of years because we didn't have this, this level of change. But we are so used to now seeing like our grandparents not, being able to relate or understand a lot of the, I don't know, cultural changes or memes or things. And they were also dealing with the same thing with their parents, right? But this cross-generational divide in culture and values and understanding that we are used to now because of like, I don't know, two or three generations of people experiencing that. At some point, this confusion is going to happen to each individual because the world is going to be unrecognizable from what it was a year ago at some point. That's how fast things are going to change, right? So things that took generations are going to take years. 
Ghassim is trying to push me to move towards this next question. Hey, like I will, I will spend longer on sticking with the question that I'm on. If you guys like want to rush me over. Okay. These are patron questions. I'm going to take my time. Um, okay. What is this name? Hilde. Hilde? Hilde? Hilde. Hilde is asking, do you think, do you think a lot of these new cults like QAnon, Queen of Canada, what the hell is that? Uh, MAGA truck convoy. Is truck convoy a cult? I thought it was just a political movement. Truck convoy, etc., will become full, full-on religions. I feel like we're playing whack-a-mole. I don't think you have to measure how re religiosity is growing based on the number of cults, right? I think like I think you have to measure it based on how many people are being religious, or how people how seriously people are taking their religion. I don't think the number of cults is a good way of measuring it. Studies seem to be showing that at least in in most countries, religiosity is declining. So I would, I mean, I would be okay with having, like, if we have just one major religion and ninety percent of people believe in it, that is less ideal than having. I don't know, 200,000 cults, but only 50% 50 50 of the people believe in those cults. I think that would be more ideal, right? I just want less people to believe in delusional. I mean, actually, that would be even more ideal, not just because there are less number of people believing in it, believing in it, but it's also just like each individual one of them looks because people believe in the uh, think like if something is popular, it must be true. But each one of these cults is going to look more wacky and insane because of because of it of it of it being a cult rather than a full on religion. So they're going to have less marketing power compared to a big religion, right? I just think like even if one of these like yeah, some of them will grow, some of them might end up being full on religions, like it has happened, right? We have seen it happen within our lifetime. So it might happen, but the overall trends is like in our favor. The overall trends is that less people are taking religion seriously. That's what that's what the data shows. That's what the statistics show, right? And um, it's very interesting because even the data that is trying to show it shows that I don't know the percentage of Muslims is going to increase in the world. That is with the assumption that they're all just going to remain Muslim. Like it's just like it's only calculating birth rates, um, and it's just going to assume that they're going to be either remain religion, remain religious, or they're just going to take their religious religiosity as serious, right? I just think like they're not. Like everything shows that they're not going to do that because that's a major assumption to make, especially given the amount of access and the amount of. I mean, the meme factories be running faster than ever in history, right? And the shelf life of each meme is like has been shortened, right? They just come and go, and it's just like 
the internet has made the the process of meme production a lot cheaper. That's why like Islam and Christianity as ancient memes have a lot more to compete with. Whether it's good memes or bad memes, the fact that we managed to survive for this long is because the the barriers to entry in meme wars was a lot higher. And because of the internet, the, those barriers have been dramatically reduced. So just because of the barriers to entry to the meme wars have been reduced, that means that we're also going to get a whole bunch of crap weirdo memes as well, right? It's not all going to be good competing. Like It's not all going to be based on values that's going to make the world a better place, right? It's also going to be like this crap, like QAnon, you know, I don't know what that Queen of Canada thing is, but MAGA, right? But at the but so we're gonna have higher mutations, right? In the evol evolution of memes, so we're gonna get a whole bunch of cancerous stuff like this. But because the process is faster, the ones that will survive eventually, hopefully the more useful ones, we're gonna see that process happen faster as well, and we're gonna see the process of replacing cults of religion with hopefully more useful ideas happen a lot faster a lot faster and the, the internet has removed the barriers to entry uh but i think the barriers will be reduced even further for reasons that i'm not going to mention here today because you guys are going to be like oh here he goes again okay let me start this other question by puya so I could get to it when we finish the patron questions. Okay. All right. So next patron question by Music Guy. Music Guy is saying, "What are your thoughts on Ibrahim Raisi's uh, Ibrahim Raisi visiting uh, Qatar?" So I don't know if you guys know. So for people who don't know, Ibrahim Risi is the president of Iran. Um, and Qatar is one of the uh, Gulf countries. It is the Gulf country that is closest to the Islamic Republic of Iran. Um, the other ones having more of a, yeah, his, especially in recent couple of years, the UAE and Bahrain and Saudi Arabia have not been very friendly, to say the least, to Iran. I know, like UAE is trying to change that a little bit, but still, it's not that it's not that friendly. But Qatar is the one that was has been the closest one to Iran, and that has they became even closer after Saudi Arabia and the other countries blockade on Qatar. I don't know if you guys remember that. I don't know how you, how how aware you guys are of international events, okay? But basically what happened, it was like Saudi Arabia and some other countries tried to put a blockade on Qatar, tried to isolate it, tried to crush its economy, tried to make it bend the knee for a list of reasons, including their closeness with the Islamic Republic of Iran. And Qatar did not bend the knee. And while in that, during that time, Iran, the Islamic Republic of Iran came to the help of Qatar and provided a lot of assistance. And basically that made Qatar and 
the Islamic Republic of Iran a lot closer together, right? And that has paid off a lot for the Islamic Republic of Iran, uh, especially because Qatar is like becoming more and more um, effective at being the country where negotiations are done, right? I don't know, for example, if you guys remember during the whole um, Afghanistan falling to Taliban situation, um, and I mean, for for many years now, Qatar has been the Qatar's uh, involvement in negotiations with the Taliban was highlighted, even though that was going on for a couple of years. But Qatar is the place where these negotiations are happening, and Qatar is also right now behind the scenes. For example, uh, behind the scenes is is involved in the nuclear negotiation talks, right between um, the the Islamic Republic of Iran and a whole bunch of other countries, mainly the United States, right? So they are assisting with that. And it's great for um, the Islamic Republic to have Qatar as a friendly ally, given though, given that they are such a major player in negotiations, right? Um, Qatar really wants to be the country that has so much leverage on, a, it's, a, it's a, such a tiny country that is like pulling, uh, so much weight relative to how small it is on, on, on a global stage when it comes to international politics. And one way it does that it is by being the, uh, a country that is the host of all these negotiations, right? So it uses that leverage as a way to uh, have so much more influence that you would expect from such a small country, right? Um, so that has been very effective. And, you know, so that was like a strategically effective thing that the Islamic Republic did in like supporting Qatar because now they're like benefiting from that. Um, however, now it's also a lot more strategic than it was before because of Ukraine. Do you guys, okay, let me ask you guys in the live chat, see if anybody can get it. Guys, can you um, not bring up news from other things right now? We could get back, get to other news. Um, at another time, okay, we will cover those, right? Right now, let's focus on what we're talking about. Um, how do you, what do you guys think is the relation between the Ibrahimi Raisi's visit to Qatar and what's happening right now in Ukraine? I want to see if anybody knows. All right, so I'm just going to... No, nobody? Maybe it's just... Uh... Okay. All right, so... No, five more seconds. Oh, there we go. There we go. No, yeah, Susanna, close, close Susanna, but Qasem got it. It's, a, it's about gas, okay? Because both Iran and Qatar are major, have major access to gas fields, right? I think one of the world's largest gas field is kind of like cut in half between Qatar and um, Iran. And for example, and for example, uh, United States and other countries have been trying to come to Qatar uh, to provide Europe with liquid gas right now so to reduce their short-term, short-term reduce their dependency on Russian gas, right? Because for people, I think a lot of you know that Putin uses Europe's dependency on his gas as a way to 
um, pressure, use it as a leverage against Europe to be able to do what it wants, right? Because one reason why Europe initially wasn't going as aggressively against uh, Putin was because they are dependent on Russia for their gas. And this is, it's not an accident that Putin decided to do all of this at winter, where he thought that the dependency, the uh, Europe's dependency on its gas would be even higher, right? This is why Germany, which is the most dependent on Russia's gas, was like not falling in line with the rest of the West to pr to pressure Russia. Now, finally, they like put like the Nord Stream uh, gas line, uh, gas pipe on like on a, on a pause um, because after the attack. But initially, they were like, yeah, no, like please, no, we need this gas. Uh, but now, finally, they did it. But to be able to make Europe stronger against Russia, they need the help of a country like Qatar. And right now, they probably are thinking that it would have been nice, it would have been better if we also had access to Iran's gas. And obviously they don't because Iran is under sanctions, right? And Iran and Qatar together would have been considered a great replacement to Russia's gas right now, but they don't have access to Iran's gas, right? And this is why Qatar is also seeing this as a strategic move to be closer to Iran, especially when it comes to gas. If the nuclear negotiations follow through and the sanctions fall and Iran's uh, oil and gas market opens to the world, um, it makes sense for Qatar and Iran to be friendly rather than competing with each other to be able to be more strategic in how they make the world bend to their will because of the fact that they need to. This is going to be a major advantage to Iran. If, imagine how much Iran would have been benefited right now from this pressure on, uh, on, on Russia if it didn't have the sanctions on. This would have been a really great opportunity for them to come and be like, oh, I hear, I hear you guys need gas, right? So, But they can't take advantage of that because of the sanctions. And by the way, this might have an impact on the um, on the nuclear talks. I mean, it might have. It definitely has an impact on the nuclear talks right now in Vienna because the pressure on opening Iran's gas market to the world is now a lot more, right? By the way, apparently this winter was not as a big of a deal like it was a mild winter in Europe. So that didn't work in favor of Putin. But still... Um, Putin assumed that the stars have aligned perfectly for him to do this attack because it was winter, because of the need for gas, because of the Afghanistan situation where it seemed like the United States seemed like very weak, because of some disagreements between the French and the Americans, and like rely, relying on uh, trying to sip, you know, uh, trying to dismiss NATO and maybe go Europe going its own way. All of that seemed like the West was divided. It seemed like the United States was weak. It seemed like the Euro Europe was dependent on gas. And also because Russia thought that this is the, the only chance that they're going to get, right? Because they thought that if keep think going, keep going the way they, they are going, they're going to lose Ukraine for good. So Putin was like, it's now or never, right? But it didn't work out the way Putin thought it would. Like, yeah, Ukraine will likely 
eventually fall, but there is like it united the West. It made NATO a lot more relevant. It made the best thing that might come out of this is the pressure to move away from fossil fuels, right? Like the before this, a lot of people were hesitant over how fast we need to move towards green energy. It was like ridiculed, especially because of Europe's like people like, for example, the energy shortages in Europe uh, was largely blamed on moving too fat, too aggressively towards green energy without realizing that it's not going to be able to replace um, fossil fuels that fast, especially at the time where Germany was like basically destroying its own nuclear plants, right? Moving away from nuclear energy. People were like, okay, you're destroying nuclear energy. Um, you want to move away from your people thought like it's, it's, it's pathetic. It's like an unrealizable dream for us to be able to move this quickly to, I don't know, solar and wind. Like, are you guys kidding? Right. So it was laughed at. Right. But now with the amount of pressure uh, that they're experiencing from Russia over like it's using, using gas as a political tool, um, the push for moving towards green energy has become very, very uh, popular, right? So maybe we should be tanking. I mean, we shouldn't be tanking. I'm joking. But like, you know, I was going to joke about maybe we should be thanking Putin to like, hey, you made green energy a lot more popular. Maybe like, you know, maybe this is going to be good for the planet at some point, right? We'll see. Um, yeah, but... Also, like, as one thing that frustrates me is how all the violations of the values that we care about by Western countries, like United States or France and Germany, like their support for Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen, or, I don't know, freezing of Afghanistan's funds right now. Like, there are a whole bunch of things in the history of the way that you, since World War II, like we want, they haven't been the greatest champions of enlightenment values, right? Like they have, they're the best we got, but they haven't been the best. And that's why these values have, like if you saw how the world was when they came out of the Cold War, it seems like these values were at the at their height of their popularity. And but because of how bad United States has been in defending human rights and all the examples that people always have about their own hypocrisy, these the popularity of these values have fallen. But I feel like a tyrant coming along and showing the alternative to, what the alternative to these values are is the best marketing for them. So we're now back at the world going back going to being on the side of democracy, freedom, you know, human rights, not because in a different way, in a more organic way, because I think like after World War II and after the Cold War, we were people saw, you know, United States and Western Europe. Uh, 
governments as cheerleaders for these ideas and they were celebrating them over i don't know i don't know nazi germany or the soviet union but now i think people are defending these values you know in spite of the western powers like they're not like you know it's the people against the putin it's not like direct you know it's not like oh yeah go biden against putin you know what i mean it's not like oh yeah you know, it's not like that it's like the people themselves are like fuck you putin like we don't, it's not like west versus russia okay it's people including russians against tyranny anyways i think i went off track a lot let me actually highlight some new com questions that have come wait no star them okay next patron question d is asking what are your thoughts on room springer room springer i don't know if i'm reading that right okay typically so what is it she explains typically at age 16 amish kids go to uh go outside the community to explore for two years upon return if they decide to stay they are baptized if they choose the outside world they are shunned and can never return this is considered an act of love well that's not some very loving at all they are shunned and never return we love you you disgust me i'm telling you this because i love you um yeah that sound that doesn't sound good at all like if some if, if anybody wants to twist this as a way like oh they're giving them a choice that's great i mean relative to completely kidnapping them and not giving them any alternative i guess okay that's an improvement but relative to what's supposed to be the case this is horrible first of all like how if you're brainwashing somebody until age 16 i don't know how open they're going to be to the outside world like they're going to be like shocked they're going to be them the level of maybe they're not going to be familiar they're going to feel like outsider they're going to be like i'm going to go back to what i know right so you could i don't know it's kind of like i could kidnap somebody at a very young age imagine if i kidnap like a little and then like abuse them but also brainwash them and then be like oh no you're free go go outside and then you go outside and like oh my, this world's that like i made it so that the whole world looks like, incredibly scary right but i could be like i haven't i'm not taking this person hostage look i'm letting her go outside but then they go outside and they come back screaming in i'm like it's not a hostage they're free to leave but i have created the conditions that the world outside seems incredibly scary to them so it's technically they're a hostage even though they're physically physically they're able to leave emotionally i don't know if they're able to leave right so that's these are invisible chains okay these are invisible chains right just meant to give an illusion of freedom but it's not actually freedom and also like in case somebody leaves like the amount of shun i suspect that the shunning 
So let's say like out of like a whole bunch of them, one of them decides to leave. I don't know what the percentages are, right? The shunning and the hatred is for the, is meant to, sh it's a part of the brainwashing of the others, right? Like your brother left, oh, this, you know, this, I don't know what the vocabulary is for among Amish people for shunning people, right? But imagine if your bigger brother left that left and not coming back, the way your family speaks about that event and the betrayal and the backstabbing that they feel, you're going to be like, oh my God, my parents have been abused by my brother who have left. I will never do that to my parents, right? So the shunning is also part of that. You're going to feel guilty for doing the same thing. So I think the shunning is part of the brainwashing of whoever is left. Oh, so do you think they proudly say that 90% decide to say decide to stay? I mean, think about the emotional trauma. Like, imagine if you're a little kid and your big brother has left and you watch your parents um, talk about the disgrace, the betrayal. You know, you're going to grow up thinking like, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I don't want to do that. <laughs> right? Like, obviously, that's like emotional abuse of children. Okay? How, I'm surprised it's 90%. Like, they're proud that it's 90%. That, like, with the amount of brainwashing and the bubble that the Amish community grew up in, I'm surprised that they managed 10% leave. I honestly thought it's like, I don't know, 1% or 2%. How could you be proud of that? You have you raise your community in a bubble, and you still have, like, 10% 10, 10 leaving? Shows, I don't know. So that's, Okay. Yes, sure. Okay. Let's go. Okay, so that was the last Patreon question. Let's now go to the live chat questions. So first live chat question is by Susanna. Susanna saying, what do you what do you think of the comparisons between the international reactions to invasion of Ukraine versus Saudi inter uh, intervention in Yemen? Okay, so I could, obviously, I don't like it, okay? Obviously, if the world was a, just in any way, the Saudi intervention of Yemen would have gotten a lot more attention, okay? This is not to say, this is not to say that the intervention in Ukraine does not deserve the attention that it's getting. But obviously the cost to human life has been a lot higher in the Saudi intervention in Yemen. So much higher. So the, the world's reaction has not at all been proportional. And if I want it to be proportional, just may be clear, it's not by reducing the reaction to Ukraine is, is by increasing the reaction to Saudi intervention in Yemen. Let's be clear. Saudi U.S. intervention in Yemen. Okay? And if I say, again, I have to be very careful how I phrase this because people are dumb. People are dumb. If I say what well, I understand 
why the intervention in Yemen has gotten a lot less attention, it doesn't mean that it's justified. And it doesn't mean that I'm excusing it. Please, please, please. I'm going to maybe give you some reasons why the Yemen intervention gets a lot less attention. But again, these are not excuses. These are just understanding why things happen. Like if I say, I understand why a country like, I don't know, Syria, uh, given these events, will have a problem with radicalism. And I see why, like, I don't know, ISIS is growing in these parts of Iraq, why ISIS was popular. If I say what I see why ISIS was popular in these parts of Iraq, I'm not saying like I'm pro, I, I, I'm not, okay, I'm not going to say that word, YouTube might be crazy. I'm not saying I'm like, I'm defending it. I'm just saying I understand how this happens, okay? So in the same way, I, I understand why the Yemen situation gets less attention, partly because um, anything around the Middle East, if there's war happening there, is part of the expectation of the nature of things in the Middle East. People are not, people didn't expect anything different. Right? So they were like, yeah, war in the Middle East, of course. But people's understanding is that Europe is supposed to be a peaceful place. Europe has moved past these conflicts, this level of conflict. Um, so it's not expected. So they're like, they're going to have a bigger reaction to it. Another reason is... Racism, to be honest. Maybe. And again, this is not to. Racism that people are not aware of. Okay. So I don't want to people. Uh, I want to. I don't want to accuse people of explicit forms of racism. This is our racism where people are not aware of it. So it's like, I don't want to make them feel. You know, explicit racism, if you're aware, if you're being explicitly racist, I'm more happy to make you feel guilty. But if you are being racist without being aware of it, I'm not like really that the degree of condemnation is like a lot less, right? Because you're not aware of it, right? But people, when you see people being bombed while... And, and they look like you or you're going to actually not even look like you when they, when you look white. Because I want to say when they look like you, you're going to have a bigger reaction. But to be honest, even the, the Arab world or the Ara African world or like the Middle East or the Far East, they will have a bigger reaction when they see white people being bombed compared to everybody, everyone else being bombed. Like, it's not like the, it's not like the Arab world, for example, is going to be like, oh yeah, we care about, we're going to pay attention more into what's happening in Yemen because they, they Arab and we be Arab. No, the Arab world will also pay more attention when white people are being bombed. You know, the Africa will also pay more attention when white people are being bombed. When they see like, this isn't, well, like you're getting, you know, the non the non-white treatment. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't look it looks something more significant. Okay. So this is this is racism. 
Um, however, again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pay. <laughs> I'm not saying that all oh, Ukrainian people, <laughs> like I hope you're not dumb enough to think that I'm saying that the Ukrainian people should do not deserve the attention that they are getting because they're white. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that that would be racist. Okay. I'm just saying that other people who are also getting attacked like this, they also deserve attention like this. Okay. I, I feel like somebody's going to take this and say, I, I hope I provided enough context to, for people to not misinterpret what I'm saying. Let me see if anybody. Anybody is misunderstanding what I'm saying. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah, but what else could explain it? Okay, so these are the two unjustified reasons. Let me give you. A more charitable reason as well. Maybe a more justifiable one. Okay? For you to be more worried about something like this happening closer to borders of Western European countries. A justifiable reasons to be more alarmed. Okay? So I gave you some unjustifiable reasons, right? One justifiable reason might be, I'm not sure if it is, I'm just like putting it out there is that given that we expect the like western europe or north america to maintain some level of peace and stability and these countries around this region be because their own because of their own stability are used as a way as a platform as a place as a launching ground to provide support and stability to other places. I mean, that's a goal. I'm not, I'm not saying it always works out like that, but that's what the goal is, right? So this is like our base. These countries are our base. Other places where there are more instability, we're trying to, like, this is where we are. Uh, this is like our home base to go to. And we, like, use these countries as a way to, like, provide some level of, I know a role model, a map, support, encouragement, um, marketing of ideas that make the rest of the world a better place. So if the if this base is all of a sudden under attack, then what hope is there for the rest of the world? You understand what I'm saying? So for example, I don't know, like. No, that I don't want. I don't want to come up with examples that might seem like I'm, de, you know, devaluing other these other countries, right? I'm just saying, like, these were the countries that are supposed to be the hope of the world, to be what other countries can aspire to becoming. So, if all of a sudden we have instability over there, what does that say about the rest of the planet? So that might be one way of a one justifiable way to be more alarmed for conflict getting too close to western european countries so i gave you two unjustifiable reasons and one justified reason so i think that's good 
All right, next question by Susanna. I don't know what this is. I don't know what I'm reading. Okay, Susanna is asking, what is this? F1 Grand Prix in Russia immediately canceled, put the same event will continue in case they, I don't know what this is. Okay, Susanna, you're, uh, what is this? Anybody know what Susanna is talking about? See, I'm going to go to the next question until I get some uh, explanation. Let's go to Puya's question. Puya is saying, what do you think is going to happen to Russia once this whole Ukraine situation is over? Is Russia on its way to be shunned by the rest of the world, like North Korea? I don't know what you mean by on its way. I think it's already happening. I mean, have you seen? I haven't. I haven't seen the world disunited on anything for a while now. I think the last time I saw the world disunited on was 9-11 in the condemnation of the attacks in 9-11. Like, I haven't seen anything like this. The world coming together against Putin. Like, it's, it's, it's incredible. So it's already, it's already happening, the shunning of... Oh, let me just correct this. It's not Russia who sh should be shunned. It's Putin who's being shunned. In fact, I, guys... I want every single one of you to be one of those people that constantly goes around and remember, remind people that we are anti-Putin, not anti-Russia, okay? I want people to keep highlighting how the Russians who are, like, protesting and in the streets and, like, raising their voices against this war. Like, I keep seeing, like, pictures of people who are, like, Russians who are holding signs. They're saying, I'm Russian. I am ashamed. I'm like, dude, like, somebody needs to walk, I mean, walk to any Russian who's saying that they're ashamed, that they're feeling shame, that they should not feel any shame. In fact, they should be proud, the fact that they're taking, they're on the right side. Every Russian who's standing up against Putin or speaking, like, you have no reason to be ashamed. God damn it. You're, you are taking a stand. You should feel nothing but proud. You tell them that they should feel nothing but pr pride. Okay, so this is not anti... Like, guys, I've seen, like, people, like, saying that, oh, we're going to not buy... Uh, we're going to stop serving Russian vodka. What the hell? What does their vodka company got to do with this? In fact, anything, you, you should, like... Support Russians right now more than ever before. You know how much, what big of a price Russians are going to pay for Putin's mistakes? I mean, the sanctions are justified, but the sanctions are going to hurt Russians. Unfortunately, this is the cost that we have to pay. So you have to sympathize with Russians that are going to go through a lot of hardship right now because of Putin. I saw people attacking, um, I don't know, was it a Russian restaurant? Like, this is pure racism. This is pure racism. Please let Russians know that they have no, that you, 
that we are supporting them at this time. Like we are like we are with them. We're on their side. This is not the world against Russia. This is the world against Putin. And the world includes Russians. Let me tell you one thing. I don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you what should happen. Okay? And what one reason why we're here is because what I'm telling you did not happen. Okay? The world reacted to Germany properly after World War II, but not so much after World War I. The level of humiliation and the way that the German people were made to suffer after World War I is partly why we had a World War II. Right? The radicalization that happened in Germany after World War I is the reason why Adolf became a thing. But look how the world treated Germany after World War II. They lifted Germany up. They made it, which resulted in Germany becoming the greatest economy in Europe. It turned it into a major ally. Look how the world lifted up Japan after World War II. It's now the world's third largest economy. Oh, thank you for the super chat. I will highlight it. I'll make sure I get to it. Thank you. Um, but look, after the fall of the Soviet Union, so in a similar way, after the fall of the Soviet Union, the West had a chance in lifting Russia up. And I think that not all was done, you know, it was the way Russia was treated after the, the Cold War was to, with continuous suspicion, I think on purpose, they were not, they weren't let in on the club. I think there were more efforts need, should have been made to make Russia feel like they're sitting at the big boys table alongside France, Germany, UK, United States. And I think there was a level of suspicion that made it so that th that didn't happen. And that was a major loss opportunity because after the Cold War, the Russian people were, were ready to take that all in. And the level of involvement that the West had in rebuilding Germany or Japan, that was not there in Russia. And that was a major failed opportunity. And Russia's economy didn't grow in the same way because of especially because of the level of corruption. The you know, capitalism came, but it turned into crony capitalism because the the investment in the structural changes from bottom up that was needed to make Russia be able to benefit from all that open market and everything else and the new systems and new ideals and new infrastructure. It wasn't it, that level of investment was not made into Russia. You know, Russia felt like it was the worst. So Russia kept on growing, feeling like it was the West versus Russia.
So, so if Russia falls again because of all of this, and if maybe at an era post-Putin, I, I hope we could redo this. I hope we could, I hope to, we could invest in Russia. Okay. I hope the doors are open, made open to the Russian people. And I hope that investment, like if it, if this crushes Russia, okay, I think it's the responsibility of Western countries to then go and start and redo this. Just like they made a mistake in after World War One, and they did it properly after World War Two. I think they made a mistake after the Cold War, and after the Second Cold War, which is right now happening with Putin. I think there needs to be a attempt made to lift Russia up. And I think every single taxpayer in these Western countries should be, should go along with this, right? You shouldn't like just your role as an individual is to fight any form of xenophobia uh, against Russian people. If you notice it. So that's what I encourage you to do. Let me see. Let me hide. Let me see what we cover. So, okay, so this was a super chat. I'm going to start that. I'm going to start this. I'm going to start this. Okay, so, yeah, so someone's saying, I'm ashamed from having a guilt by association. Cringe, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's cringe, but don't tell them that they're being cringy, okay? Tell them, lift them up. Don't, like, don't even hit them even harder. Okay, if they're feeling shame, don't be like, Oh, cringe. Just tell them like, no, you should, you're on the right side of the history uh, of history. Be proud. Right. So that's what you should tell them. Okay. So yeah, Puya agrees with me. Okay. So Susanna is clarifying what she meant. Let me see. So Susanna is saying it was an example of differential treatment of Russia versus KSA. Car race was canceled in Russia. Same race will continue. Oh, so okay. So, how did you assume that I know anything about car races? So, yeah, I don't know what these things are. <laughs> okay, so this is a car race in Russia was immediately canceled, but the same event will continue in Saudi Arabia. Okay, okay, okay. Um, So I get it now. Okay, yeah, it was. It's more than that. It's like in for this KSA, it was like supported by United States. It's like funded, supported. Like, and the USA was like directly involved in aiding Saudi Arabia in that human rights violation. So it's not just more like, or it's not just like, oh, we're not going to cancel events because of you bombing civilians in Yemen. Like, we're going to fuel your planes with, like, American planes while you go hover over Yemen and bomb children. Like, that's... It's, it's even worse than what you're even saying. Like, so... Yeah. Guys, but we can condemn United States for supporting Saudi Arabia in their human rights violation, in the in their bombing of children, in their starving of... Of children, guys. In other wars, when children starve, it's collateral damage. In Saudi Arabia, when ch uh, when Saudi in Yemen, when Saudi Arabia uh, when Saudi Arabia forces ch uh, children to starve, that's not because it's a col it's collateral damage. It was by design. 
That's how evil it has Saudi Arabia has been in Yemen. And the United States has been directly involved in supporting that, right? So when I support United States and Western European countries in the position against Putin, and people are like, oh, but but Armin, United States also this and this and that. Like they're saying it as if we haven't taken a position. Like these two are not mutually exclusive. We could support, like just, we could support NATO in their position against Putin and all Western powers in their positions against Putin while also condemning them for supporting the greatest humanitarian crisis of, crisis of our time. We could hold these positions at the same time. We're not being hypocrites. In fact, we're being very consistent. We're humanists. We'll always take the side of humans. Wait, we got another super chat? Oh, yeah. I need to highlight that. I'm going to start that as well. Okay, we'll get to the super chats soon. Okay? Thank you, Susanna, for mentioning that we got another super chat. Okay. Wow, we're getting too, so many questions. I need to... I need to spend less time on each question now. Um, okay, so Susanna saying, what do you think of Tur Turkey's reaction to Ukraine invasion? Example, implementing a block of Russians, Navy, and Black Sea. Yeah, I mean, the Black Sea is... That is crazy because Russia uh, requires absolute dominance in the Black Sea. I don't know. It seems like it's amazing how so many people, so many countries that are competing, like used to be against each other, are now on the same side with this whole situation. I mean, I don't know if I should. I don't know. <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. I I I like the fact that Turkey is doing this. Um, it's strange because Turkey and Russia have had like a difficult couple of years um, against each other, taking positions against each other. But um, recently they have managed to fix that. But right now, it's you know, it seems like if you're not taking a stance against uh, Putin, you got everybody's worried about being on the wrong side of this. So most countries are falling in line. I mean, it seems like the only countries that haven't done so is the UAE, uh, India, and China, and uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran. I can't think of, oh, obviously Belarus. But when you see Turkey taking the right decision, you know that how most people, how, how united the world is becoming. <laughs> I don't know what this... Okay, so the oxymorons asked me a question, but let me actually look this up before I answer. I don't know what you're referring to. Um, I want to make sure I'm not being trolled or anything. Oh, that guys. Ooh, okay, okay. I mean, okay, what do you think? Okay, so I saw their logo. I realized what you're talking about. So saying, 
the oxymoron is asking me, Armin, what do you think of as of battalion? As of, am I pronouncing this right? Battalion. Basically, the Nazi militias in Ukraine. I mean, what do you think I think of them? Obviously, they're horrible racist people. They're Nazis. What do you think of? What do I, oxymoron, what do you think I think of Nazis? Like, is is this like a question within a question? Like, are you trying to highlight the fact that the Ukrainians have Nazis on their side? Is that what you're trying to do? Because I don't know if you're aware of what's happening in that region. Bec uh, given that, like, Russia has this whole whole bunch of Nazis as well. Like, there will be Nazis there. There will be Nazis with guns there. That's how that area is. Like it would be. Yeah. I mean, if people want to keep highlighting that to dismiss this, I don't know if that's what you're doing, Oxymoron. Are, you, are people highlighting that to dismiss the struggle of the Ukrainian people and to think, to act like they're on the wrong side? You know, people keep highlighting the fact that, you, yeah, Ukraine has Nazis, okay? Ukraine has Nazis, okay? But it's not, we can tell that, and that's a problem that they have to deal with. Uh, um, but it's not most Ukrainian people. And one example people keep giving to show that why this is not the case is the fact that the president of the country um, is Jewish. And the, the response to that has been like, oh, well, that's a stupid argument because it's kind of like saying there's no racism in United States uh, because they voted for a black president. But people who say that are idiots because we didn't say that Ukraine doesn't have racism problem. Ukraine obviously has a racism problem. We just say we're just saying that it just shows that the majority of people are not in line with that ideology. Okay. But if that's not enough, you could also see the elections. If you look at the number of seats that these Nazi group have won, it was just one seat. Very low percentage of people have voted for this entire political party. So the, the popularity of them is very low in Ukraine. That we're not saying that there's no racism in Ukraine. Obviously, there is, right? So, just like so, you're like, oh, you you say there's no racism in the United States if they voted for a black president. No, that would be a bit like saying like most people in the United States are not racist. That would be an accurate thing to say. That is not saying that there's no racism in the United States. Just like there's, we're not saying there's no racism in Ukraine. We're just saying that most Ukrainians don't think like that. Most yeah, so secular. Um, hold on, we got a super chat, another super chat. If it's not, why is it not showing up? Um, oh, here. Thank you so much for the super chat, secular Sakai saying most Ukrainians. Okay, as of, I don't know how to read this. As as of as. 
Azov's do not. Azov's do not. Okay, I think you're saying the, these Nazi groups are not most Ukrainians. No to propaganda. Yes, they're not. They're not. So that's what I said as well. Thanks for the super chat. Uh, oxymoron saying yes they have been integrated in the ukrainian army right now anybody that could carry anything that shoots is it being integrated like right now when they're being attacked they're just putting out like obviously anybody who's resisting will be integrated into ukrainian army that's not the same. You're saying you're, you're saying you're talking as if you're contradicting what I'm saying. Most Ukrainians don't think don't think like that. Most Ukrainians are not Nazis. That what you're saying does not contradict what I said. Honestly, if you attack my house and you want to attack my family, if you're shooting at my if there are people outside shooting at my house, if somebody shows up and we're like, here. I will defend your family and your house, okay? I will shoot at these people who are shooting at your house. I'm not going to be like, wait, but aren't you a Nazi? I'm not going to be like, no, 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 go away. You're a Nazi, okay? And we're like, okay, here, here's a gun. Shoot at these people who are shooting at my house. That does not mean that I support their ideology. Oh, yeah, Susanna is reminding people to please like this video because I'm using big words like Nazi, so this video is going to be um, suppressed in the algorithm game because of the words I'm choosing to use because I'm, I can't be too careful anymore. So please like the stream, like the video so that it shows up higher on, the, in the, on people's feeds. Am I missing it? Guys, if I miss anything, it's because I'm doing this by myself. Susanna is saying uh, San Francisco has gone full freedom fries. My local bar now serves... Kiev mules, not Moscow mules. What? This is ra this is racism. This is anti-Russian racism. This is bullcrap. I saw in Canada people are calling the dish Putin. The you know the famous Canadian dish. They're calling it something else. Um, I don't even know how to spell that thing. Even though I'm supposed to be Canadian. Because of, yeah, hold on. I don't know, they're renaming that. To something else, I forgot. I, I can't find the news right now. This is disgusting. This is disgusting behavior. You're being anti-Putin or you're being anti-Russian. You know, this is being forced on the Russian people. Oh, you guys know how to spell it? Wow. D 
Do you guys have you guys seen that news that they're calling it something else now because of what's happening in Russia? I was never a fan of Putin, the Canadian dish, by the way. I was never never a fan of both Putins. Oh, Susanna likes Putin. Not the Putin in Moscow, the Putin in Canada. Putin, it's not Canada. Oh, Puya saying you don't like fatty foods, so it's understandable. Exactly. Puya, you know me so well. But yeah, this is disgusting behavior, guys. Do not any any restaurant or company that does this, they need to be shamed. They need to be embarrassed. They need to be like they, they need to be called out as racist. I saw some Republicans were suggesting that um, all Russian students need to be sent back home. You know, the actual strategy should be the other way around, right? Like, if you want to, if you want to, um, one, a very strategic move against Putin would to welcome, to be like, by the way, we're going to give student visas or work visas to all Russians um, who have these certain skills. That would be a brain drain. Okay, that would be like a use of a very effective use of soft power. But these people's bigotry doesn't make them like, even if you want to be strategic, your bigotry is, is like blind you. Yeah, I think one, one great reaction to, uh, to Putin would be like, Russians are all Russians are welcome. All Russians with these skills are now welcome to United States universities and high skill job market. Just come here. We'll just approve you. Let's see how you survive without your top skills. So bigoted. So Mustafa had a super chat. Thank you so much, Mustafa. Mustafa is saying some analysis say that the war could lead to uh, second Arab Spring due to the Middle East's dependency on Ukrainian wheat. What are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, but I don't know if that's going to happen, but the dependency is, is much greater than I thought. I think especially, Mustafa, if I'm correct, uh, Egypt and Lebanon. I don't remember the exact percentages, but when I heard, read the percentages of the of the dependency on Ukraine, it was like, holy crap. Like, how like how is Lebanon is going to eat now, given, like, was it half? Was it half of their wheat comes from Ukraine? Like, I never knew that the Middle East was, food was so dependent on Ukraine. How did we not hear about this before? Yeah, yeah, Mustafa is saying I've seen up to 50%. That's what I heard as well. Like, that's in insane. What are they going to do now? And yet, these, and yet a lot of people in these countries are supporting Putin. Well, how are you going to eat now? I don't know if it's going to lead to an Arab Spring, though. Second Arab Spring. What it what it might actually lead to is for more countries, if Putin is not crushed, 
it's going to motivate more countries to start looking at each other's borders. They're like, hmm, you have a nice border over there. It would be a shame if somebody messes with it. Because, yeah, because this is going to embolden more countries. Unless Putin is made an example of. Uh, son of Kemet is saying 80% of Egypt's wheat comes from Russia and Ukraine. Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, okay, so if it comes from Russia and Ukraine, wouldn't it, given the... Given the drop in the car, uh, the value of the currency of Ukraine, wouldn't that make the wheat cheaper to buy? Maybe in the short term, there's going to be some supply chain issues. But if they just wait it out just a little bit, doesn't mean that they have access to more wheat now? Given that the currency price dropping means that it's now a lot more affordable? Isn't that how that works? Yeah, I think they're going to be able to buy more of it soon. Let me see if anybody disagrees with this take. Yeah, if anything, people should be buying... Um, more Russian stuff very soon because everything Russian is going to be on sale. Mustafa saying, sure, it's cheaper, but you need to make the effort to get it. The same reason why there is no huge mineral mines in Afghanistan. True, true. Yeah, so especially if Ukraine is um, moved out of the SWIFT code, how are you going to buy stuff from Russia? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, how are you going to buy stuff from Russia? You're right, actually. It could become more expensive. It's going to be cheaper because of the currency price, but more expensive because of the difficulty of getting it. So it's going to, I don't know how, I, I'm not smart enough to be able to know how that's going to balance each other out. Yeah, okay. So uh, Soft on Kim is saying, but isn't Russia cut off from their banking system now? Is it completely cut off? Because I thought it was, for now, just a couple of banks that have been cut off, Russian banks. Because if it's completely cut off, how is, I, I know the United States and Europe is still buying Russian gas. They're still, as we're speaking, buying Russian gas. They can't be completely cut off from the banking system because how are they buying that if they're completely cut off? I thought like I thought like oh this bank and this bank and this bank is now cut off. I thought that's how it's working for now. They're not giving Russia the Iran treatment yet, right? Iran is completely cut off from the SWIFT and everything. But Russia, I think, is selected banks for now. Maybe I'm wrong. Somebody correct me if in the live chat. Mohammed Ahmed is asking, do you think that another war could start in Egypt, strike the Ethiopian dam as there is, as that represents 
an existential threat for them. That would be escalating things to a level that I don't think the world is willing to tolerate right now. That would be like, that wouldn't that be, yeah, that would be a violation of international laws of Egypt. I don't think Egypt has the appetite to be isolated from the world. I mean, Ethiopia is not a country that the world is just willing to let Egypt just bomb its dam, right? I know Ethiopia has taken a lot of measures around these dams. Um, they have a lot of anti, you know, grand to air missiles, defensive missiles around these dams, given how how easily they could be destroyed and how devastating that would be to Ethiopia. I mean, based on based on their international laws, Ethiopia, I think, is within its, in its right to build those dams. So I don't. That would be like I don't think Egypt is not like Russia. It doesn't have all the reserves and nukes to be like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna go willy nilly. Um, violate international laws and just be able to like act like Putin to think like I could like, Oh, I could, I could survive the condemnation of the international community for a couple of years. Also Egypt is not like Saudi Arabia where like the West is like drunk on its oil or anything like that. Like Saudi Arabia is like, yeah, I'm going to keep like causing the greatest humanitarian crisis of all time. Not of all time of our time. Um, and the world is not going to do much against it. Well, because they like sucking on my teeth for oil, right? They need that. I don't think Egypt is in that position right now to do something like that. Maybe you could just threaten. Right? Like, you'd be like, ah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Fly some planes around it. And then Ethiopia would be like, okay, okay, okay. Like, maybe like, just bust, you know, just, you know, just taking some aggressive stance. Maybe you could like shoot some missiles like close to the dam or something like that. Make the world come in like, okay, okay, we're going to push you both to start talking to the, each other. Maybe you could like act like, act like it's about to do that. So that there's more pressure on Ethiopia to be like, let in more water. But I don't know if they will go far as far as just like attacking it. Like, I don't know. I mean, after what Putin did, I don't know if we can guess these things anymore. Okay. Like logically, Putin shouldn't have done what he just did. Like, like this should have not been something that a rational actor does. Right. So, so I don't think we can make predictions on who's going to do what. It's, it's harder to make predictions when it comes to uh, non-democratic countries because it depends on the opinion and like on the conspiracy theories or on the mood of fewer number of people. It's not going to be based on systems that are predict that, that act predictably, right? More predictably, not predictably. Um, I mean, Russia is like being completely is dancing to the tune of one man, right? Putin, right? So it's harder to predict what a crazy person like Putin is going to do tomorrow than, I don't know, like the system that, I don't know, the European Union or like Germany. Like even the United States is like 
less predictable than things in Europe, right? Because the presidency is just because could go really wacko, like with Trump at some point. Oh, somebody, Mustafa saying, I can speak as a Sudanese person. Not likely, but some serious tensions already exist. Wow. So my analysis uh, was pretty good. That's good. Good to know. All right. Next question. Oh, we already addressed this one. Next question. Next question is from D. They're saying, what do you think about Poland letting Ukrainians enter when they were close to Syrians, Afghans, etc.? All right, let me give you a charitable take. No, a not very charitable take, and then a charitable take, okay? The non-charitable take is obviously racism, <laughs> okay? So, obviously, right? And we have seen, to be fair, a lot of racism from Polish uh, border guards and stuff like that extreme levels of racism okay so explicit forms of racism um so that would be justifiable for that to be one part of the equation okay a more charitable take and which one of these takes are true i think both like i think it's a mix of both okay is that it's very unlikely for Ukrainians refugees to be to be terrorists. This is not racism. This is just statistics, and it's not because of their race. It's because of what the Syrians and Afghans have been exposed to. Okay, it's because of environmental conditions and the places, the situations that they come from, like, you know, that that is more likely, right? It's hard to imagine Ukrainians going to Poland and uh, doing something similar to jihad to in Europe, okay? That is not likely, okay? So you could say like if there were more if they were being more picky about okay who are these people what are the ties to like people coming from Syria I mean how could we know which one is an ISIS member and which one is not an ISIS member that is a legitimate concern if people are coming from Afghanistan are like are these like ISIS Khorasan is this Taliban like I don't know we don't have an access to the record like of these people how could we analyze? How could we vet these people? We don't know, okay? So you might, that's a legitimate concern, okay? So both the legitimate concern and racism, I think, plays a role. They're not mutually exclusive, okay? Um, and a third element might be how popular it is right now worldwide to defend Ukrainians, right? Like as a politician, you look at, the people who are supposed to be voting for you 
and you look at what they want and you have to feed them what they want. You have to give in to what they want. You have to give in to popular demand. Right now, internationally, it's very popular to do things for Ukrainian people. So obviously, politicians are going to take advantage of that opportunity to buy some political capital for themselves. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a good thing. This is how people, how voters are supposed to make politicians do the things that they want like with by signaling what they desire and politicians are supposed to do what we want because that's their job okay so i'm that third element i'm not saying it as if that's a bad thing okay so those are what the reasons i think are let me know if you agree all right we just got another super chat. I think those are 15 shekels. So being fund is that a shekel, right? 15 shekels. So being funded by Zionist confirmed. We're proudly funded by Zionists. This channel is proudly being funded by Zionists. Thank you very much, Adam. Um, and the super chat says you you got another super chat. So it's like self, it's referring to itself which is very meta. <laughs> oh, so D is confirmed. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. That's very kind. And D is saying, yeah, Poland has been so crazy right wing. This can earn them points. I really hope one, there are many silver linings to what's happening in Ukraine. I hope that one of them is Poland being so dependent on the whole European model, on the whole EU and NATO system, both of them, so that their values, like because Poland is on this constantly plays between this like needing EU, being dependent on the EU and NATO so much while trying to sometimes act like show the middle finger to to eu by because of the lgbt and humanist and secular and pro free speech values that the rest of europe has poland is like trying to like move away from that and the polish citizens thankfully come at and like no no we are very pro eu please don't move away from that this is like not good for poland i mean poland has benefited from being part of the EU more than most EU countries, right? So it's very hypocritical of them when the rest of the EU is like, hey, if you want to be part of this club, these are our values. And when Poland acts like, okay, well, no, thank you. Like, that's very hypocritical. You have, you're in no position, Poland, to be able to say no to the rest of the EU. The EU has been very, very kind to you, okay? And all they want from you in return is to behave like a humanist secular modern country okay it's not too much to ask given all the protection and all the economic benefits you get from being part of this club okay you will benefit from it your citizens will benefit from it and your citizens have shown how much they need this and i hope all this western unity right now pushes poland more in the direction more towards these 
uh, other Western countries in the in the Europe, uh, and for them to shut the hell up um, and fall in line when their homophobia and transphobia and religious bigotry is pointed out to them. Okay, this is going to be the last question. Susanna is saying, can we talk about the colossal sea change in Germany and Switzerland? Yeah, Switzerland. Holy crap. By the way, Susanna, you were correct. Sweden was also um, has a history of not taking sides. Okay, so the fact that Sweden and Switzerland are now being united with the rest of the world and taking an aggressive stand stance against Russia, it's unimaginable. Switzerland has a very clean record of not taking any sides, of being neutral at all times. Look what Putin has done. Putin has managed to make Switzerland not be neutral anymore. The amount of unity is unbelievable. Germany has, be has been so dedicated in being a non-aggressive country when it comes to its military, it, when it comes to being only defensive, when it comes, but now they are over one night, a multi-decade history, a precedent that they have, the, the commitment they have had ever since World War II to not change this position, to only be defensive with their military, overnight they just undid all of that. They're like, we cannot be defensive anymore. Democracy is worth going to fight for. They have increased their military budget. The thing that Trump was acting like he could push Germany to do, to bring their uh, military budget to the 2%, that what is required for them to be a member of NATO, and they were always below it. Trump was trying to push these NATO countries to get to that level. What Trump could never do, Putin managed to do. They said they came out and said, not only we're going to go to 2%, we're going to go above it. They're committing a, another 100 billion, am I correct? 100 billion dollars? 100 billion? Was that the number? To their, to their military budget. Like, this is the, every single Putin's nightmare the things that he never imagined could happen all the things that he were worried about all the things that he was trying to avoid he's now responsible for it happening like i don't think putin ever imagined germany taking such an aggressive military stand this is completely in contradiction to the entire philosophy of how germany does defense ever since world war ii Secular Sekai say, you know you've messed up when even Switzerland gives up its neutrality. <laughs> yes. Guys, I don't know if people know how unprecedented all of this is. This is like a major change in history of Europe. And they're happening overnight. Like the nature of Switzerland's philosophy and Germany's Germany, like the largest economy in Europe, all of a sudden decided 
to contribute a huge part of its um, economy to making sure that democracy is defended all over Europe. These are massive changes. Like we have to go all the way back to World War II to see massive changes like this happening in the way these countries think about their role. I can't imagine Putin being happy about this. This is like if he was having if Putin was having nightmares about what Europe could become, I think his nightmares would not have been as bad as this. And it's amazing that he made this happen. Anyways, I gotta go. Guys, make sure you like this video. Like, 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 everybody. Do not leave without liking. Share this video. Uh, tell people to subscribe to this channel. Tell them that um, there's no better takes than secular jihadist takes. Okay? If they want to see the correct interpretation of everything that is happening around the world, this is the only channel. This is the only channel that will give them that. Okay? Everything we say here is completely correct. It's the best analysis. It's the most nuanced, the most, I was going to say unbiased, but that's not true. Anyways. Like this video before you go and recommend this. And also leave a comment after the stream is over. I see some questions, but I got to go. I'm just gonna highlight, I'm just gonna read this. It's not a question, so I'm just gonna read it. Uh, Mr. Jeller saying Jimmy Dore and his journalist friend um, Aaron Mate are blaming U.S. for Ukraine invasion. I think it's confirmed now. They both are Russian studios. I mean, yeah, that's those are some really horrible takes. Anyway, guys, uh, like this video, share this video, leave a comment, uh, hit the notification, do all the things that you're supposed to do to make this channel grow. Everything because we need your help. Okay, everything. You see everything. Under here, everything. Just just spend some five minutes just looking at everything you could do to just to signal to YouTube that this channel is worth, this video is worth watching, okay? Anyways, thank you guys, and thank you for the support. Oh, and link to our Patreon in the description. Remember, we have a Patreon-only show coming uh, very soon that is about drama in the Muslim YouTube community. And so uh, become a patron to be able to see that stream. I'm going to post a link to that on Patreon uh, shortly after the stream, okay? So become a patron. Thank you for your support. Do not become a patron if you're suffering financially, struggling financially. Do not support us financially. But if you're not, consider supporting us and becoming a patron. Bye.